Good to have you all joining us tonight as we look into the prophecies of Ezekiel. We are over in chapter 31 of Ezekiel. We are still on the prophecies regarding the nation of Egypt. Tonight, though, we're going to take a look at how easy it is to fall into comparing our walk to those that we consider to be less than ourselves in qualifications, but they possess more in in, uh, quantifications. They have more stuff, but we feel like we're walking better than they are. Ever see that get to be a bother to you? Sometimes we compare people. They came up front, got hands laid on them, they got healed. And we look at that and say, but Father, they don't do anything in church. They're not witnessing the people. They're not doing this. They don't read their Bible much at all. I've been serving you for all these years. How come I can't get whatever it is that we, we think we ought to have? And so there's a whole lot of comparisons that we do. Whenever we do, we're always looking at our walk compared to what we see of theirs. And generally, they come up short. We come up long. We're looking pretty good to ourselves. And we don't understand why we didn't get what we feel like we should have. So in this chapter, God compares Egypt to a great tree. He also compares them, Egypt to a strong kingdom in Assyria. And then we get to the end here, and it seems like he might be making a comparison between Egypt and the tree, trees of Eden. So we'll see what's going on there with that tonight. Last week we looked at those who rely on Egypt, the allies that they have. And we saw that it is foolishness to seek deliverance from him, her, or those that will receive God's judgment. And so we spent some time looking at the things that put people under the judgment of God. That you can actually recognize when someone has moved themselves under the judgment of God, and if they have, for us to seek any kind of deliverance from them is foolishness, because God is judging them, not using them as a deliverer. The same way it's foolish to seek a natural or human solution, to, uh, to political situations or natural situations that might come up when there might be a spiritual problem that's affecting it. Alright, let's dig in here to his Ezekiel 31. This message has been dated by people who do this stuff on a regular basis, not me. Uh, June 21st, 587 B.C. Again, uh, some of the people differ on the, the exact year by, by a year. But this is about two months after the last prophecy we had last week that was dated. About two more, two more months from that. So, uh, in June 20, 21st, 587, some historians have that as, uh, when, uh, one of the times that the siege of Jerusalem restarted. And that was either the second or the third time that it was restarted. We know at least one time they stopped because Egypt came up to attack the army of Nebuchadnezzar and they lost that battle. We covered that before. But this is uh, probably the uh, third or final time that they have come to, to siege during this, this uh, one, uh, two, three-year campaign. It started in 588 B.C., went to 586 B.C. All right. That's, uh, we're going to see that in this prophecy, we are going to depict the ruler as a tree. And this was a common thing that they did in in literature in the ancient Near East. Ezekiel used this same idea in chapter 17, verses 1 through 10, and 22 through 24. We'll see it also used in Judges, chapter 7 through 21, 
And Daniel used it in chapter 4, 1 through 18. So this is not the only time that a ruler has been uh, compared to a tree. So verse 1 of Ezekiel 31, Now it came to pass in the eleventh year, in the third month, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, Whom are you like in your greatness? So, whom are you like in your greatness? The uh, God is is uh, saying this. Pharaoh sees himself as great. We already know that from the prophecies he had before. Pride is a big issue for him. He said he got to the point where he not only saw himself as a god, he saw himself as the originator of the Nile. I built the Nile. I made the Nile. Uh, more than likely, the Nile made Egypt. And we're going to be uh, talking about the cedars of Lebanon, which I'm sure you all are familiar with, just in the writings of uh, history that deal with Solomon. He did a lot with the cedars that came from the area of Lebanon. They are the tallest trees known in the Near East. They were known for their height and their durability. Of course, cedar wood is very durable. In verse 3, Indeed, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon, with fine branches that shaded the forest and of high stature. And its top was among the thick boughs. The the waters made it grow. Underground, waters gave it height, with their rivers running around the, the place where it was planted and sent out rivulets to all the trees of the field. Therefore, its height was exalted above all the trees of the field. Its bows were multiplied and its branches became long because of the abundance of water. And it sent them out. All the birds of the heavens made their nest in its bows. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field brought forth their young. And in its shadow... All great nations made their home. So we see that the the birds are going to like this place. Remember the parables. Jesus uh, used birds nesting in trees. And birds were always bad in the parables. In here, they're not necessarily good. But they're not necessarily bad either. Uh, these are just other nations, other other peoples who came and found refuge under Egypt. Of course, Israel was one of those who found deliverance in, in Egypt and found security in them. And there's other nations that did this as well. So all birds of the heavens made their nest. They, uh, they, they found refuge there. They found safety there. All in this, all in this place with Egypt. So what we're doing here now is we're switching over to Assyria. As God looked at it, Assyria was a great nation. And as God gets into detail, he saw Assyria as a greater nation than Egypt. Now, this may not be Assyria over the whole history of Assyria compared to the whole history of Egypt. We're looking at this time frame under this particular pharaoh right now. And Assyria was a stronger nation before it fell. And about 20 years before this prophecy is when Assyria fell to Nebuchadnezzar. So God is saying that when Assyria fell, it was a greater nation than Egypt is at this point under this pharaoh. And so God is comparing that. Now we're making Assyria into the cedar and we're talking about how wonderful it is, how great it is. <clears throat> if Pharaoh wants to compare himself to Assyria, uh, this is the, this is the whole, uh, scheme of things. Assyria was a great cedar and Assyria fell to Nebuchadnezzar. If Assyria fell to Nebuchadnezzar, Egypt will fall to Nebuchadnezzar. That's basically what he's uh, he's getting at with 
with this whole part. So he says that its height was exalted above all the trees of the field in verse 5. Its bows were multiplied and its branches became long because of the abundance of water as it sent them out. All the birds of the heavens made their nest in its bows and under its branches all the beasts of the field brought forth their young. Now it talks about all the water here. Assyria had two great rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates. And this watered the land and they made tributaries from it to water the land. The Egyptians had the Nile. And the Nile had many tributaries. They, they built some uh, canals to go from the Nile to water the fields and to keep everything fertile. So there's a lot of similarities between these two here. Now, it's also uh, a good thing to make note of that Nebuchadnezzar, <coughs> Nebuchadnezzar, in his first year of his reign, rendered, rendered himself the master of Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. So he... Uh, that's one of the first places he took. Of course, Assyria was the ruling power. If you want to be the next ruling power, you got to take out the one who's already there. And so he took out the Assyrian Empire and he, he uh, established his as the rule. Now, Assyria did not just come about before Nebuchadnezzar. They had actually been in the, in the, in the uh, Bible back in the book of Genesis. If you remember Nimrod, he was uh, of the Assyrians or the land of, the, of Assyria. So let's go on to verse 7. Thus it was beautiful in greatness and in the length of its branches because its roots reached to abundant waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide it. The fir trees were not like its bows and the chestnut trees were not like its branches. No tree in the garden of God was like it in beauty. Now that seems kind of odd. Why would God say that this heathen king of Assyria, we're talking about Assyria now, why would we say that that heathen king and his kingdom was more glorious than the trees in the garden of God. Because of verse 9. I made it beautiful with a multitude of branches, so that all the trees of Eden envied it. They were in the garden of God. So God is saying, I built Assyria. And of course, Assyria came along as a judgment for the people of Israel. Israel had fallen into sin, idolatry, and Assyria was raised up as the uh, sword of God, and they came and they took away the northern tribes, and Israel had fallen. Now Assyria, though they were using this, the uh, sword of God, they did not repent from their idolatry and the things that they were doing. And in fact, Jonah was sent to them, and when Jonah was sent to them, they immediately repented, but it didn't last. And so they fell back into their idolatry. And so Nebuchadnezzar came along and he was the next sort of God. And there were times that he was worshiping God and there was times he was worshiping himself. But it's uh, because of Daniel and the writings we have there, we see that he had some sensitivity to the things of God, though at times he fell off of that. But he became the new sort of God and he took Assyria out. And so Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, is now the, the ruling, ruling branch. But he said, I made it beautiful. Egypt boasted in its greatness. Assyria got to the place where it boasted in its own greatness and did not see that God had made it. Egypt was doing the same thing. They saw, I made, I made myself. I am my own God. I made the Nile. He was very full of pride. So they boasted in its own greatness. But in God's eyes, Egypt was not as great as Assyria. So if Assyria was conquered by Babylon... Egypt will be conquered by Babylon as well. 
Now, the same pattern we see here today, God makes a thing. He makes a person. He makes a king. He makes a kingdom, whatever it might be. And the thing begins to think it made itself, becomes prideful, unthankful, and follows in the way of unrighteousness. We see that with many people today. Many people today deny God, don't see God as being in anything, and seeing that, uh, no, this all just happened, or they see themselves as their, their own God and some elevate themselves to the point of even receiving worship. But whatever greatness we have, we have to always come back to the fact that God made whatever greatness I have. He made whatever beauty I have. He made whatever talent I have. He made whatever gifting that I have. All the blessings that I have come from God. And as long as we keep that humble viewpoint that whatever it is that I have is of God, it's not of my own making, it's not of my own wisdom. It's not of my own smarts. God gave it to me. As long as we keep that mentality, pride will stay away from us. But the enemy is constantly pulling on us, trying to get us to see, no, I made myself. I don't need this. And eventually we get to the place where I don't need God. We look at our lives today, and I'm sure many of you out there are saying, that could not happen to me. I know that I would never get to that place. And yet there are many people in the Bible who were just as fervent as you could find a person for the things of God, and yet they fell off. How sure was Judas that Jesus was the Christ, and yet he fell off? How many times did Paul have people that were right-hand people for him, and they fell off? It goes all through the Bible. We see the people began to think I am somebody I made myself and they begin to go off they get their own revelation they get their own doctrine they see the blessings that God has put on their life on their ministry on the things that they do and they begin to say I don't need God I am my own person and that's when judgment comes Verse 10. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have increased in height and it set its top among the thick bows and its heart was lifted up in its height, therefore, I will deliver it into the hand of the mighty one of the nations and he shall surely deal with it. I have driven it out for his wickedness and aliens, the most terrible of nations, have cut it down and left it. Its branches have fallen on mountains and in all the valleys. Its bows lie broken by all the rivers of the land. And all the peoples of the earth have gone from under its shadow and left it. Well, there's nothing there to protect them anymore. There's nothing there. There's no shade. There's nothing, uh, nothing good. So they've left. They've gone away because there's nothing more that I can gain from being here. Now, trees take a long time to grow. They grow very tall. They grow strong. And their roots, most for most trees, go deep down. They become deeply rooted. But this doesn't happen overnight. It takes a lot of time. And the longer the tree grows, the deeper its roots go, the taller it is, the thicker it is. But no matter what, no matter how long that tree has been growing, the tree may have been growing for a hundred years, the roots may go down many, many, many feet. And it may have withstored many a storm that has, has come by. But if someone decides to come over and cut it down, the, the depth of its roots don't matter. The height of the tree, it doesn't matter. The strength of the tree, that doesn't matter. 
because someone is taking a blade to it and just cutting right through. And when they do that, that tree will fall. And what God is saying is this. It took a long time for you to get to that place. That place where, where, where you are tall, where your roots go down deep, where your strength, that tree is, is of such that you can withstand storms, gale force winds. But if you don't stay in a place of humility and you allow yourself to get into a place of pride, you will be cut down. And there's nothing that you possess. Your height, your roots, your strength, nothing that you possess will keep keep you from being cut down. Verse 13. On its ruin will remain all the birds of the heaven and all the beasts of the field will come to its branches. So once it falls down, the birds of the heavens are lost. They don't know where to go. And so they come and they land on a tree that's on the ground. Now they can't stay there because the tree is no longer giving them elevation giving them height above their enemies, giving them view, giving them branches to nest in. So they they come and they land on this thing because they don't know what else to do. They're shocked. And the Word of God will say that they're actually in mourning. They They are ruined by these things. So many would still come to a fallen tree for shelter because they don't know where else to go. But they won't find it anymore. You would think that if they saw the judgment of God come upon Assyria, if they saw the judgment of God come upon Egypt, that they would say, we don't need to seek after these nations for our safety. We need to seek after the God who took them down. The God who brought these great trees down to the ground. But those nations don't do that. Even Israel didn't do it. And Judah. Eventually Judah would. But they would become so blinded. They would come back to a cut down tree. Instead of repenting and turning to God. Verse 14. So that no trees by the water may ever again exalt themselves for their height. Nor set their tops among the thick boughs. And no tree which drinks water may ever be high enough to reach up to heaven. <clears throat> now you read this and you might think well I think some trees have I think some trees have gotten to this height but he's not saying a pronouncement that no trees ever will that no king will ever get to this place again his idea here is that Assyria got to that place of pride they were a great kingdom but it got to that place of pride and they went down Egypt great kingdom got to that place of pride and they came crashing down he says they will eventually learn that God, Jehovah, is the one who brings them down. And that we should not stand up in pride against them. We should not be trying to be so great that we're greater than the God of Jehovah. For they have been all delivered to death, to the depths of the earth, among the children of men who go down to the pit. That is, of course, to to hell. And what God is saying here is this up here in this earth there are some people who have risen to places of great fame great wealth that we look at them we say oh there are people of great stature uh, look at that great king look at that great uh, whoever it might be maybe they're just a wealthy businessman maybe they have millions of dollars to their name maybe hundreds of millions 
But what happens is once the, that pride is set in, they've been judged and they've been taken down, they go down to the pit, they go down to hell. And in hell, everyone is equal. The great ones are no greater than the poor, than the, the ones who had nothing. And that's what he's saying down in this spot. Here on this earth, you looked at this and you say, I am greater than all these other people around and it fed that pride that you had. But down in hell, everyone is on an equal footing among the children of men who go down to hell. Because that's where they have been delivered to, to the depths of the earth. And they have gone down there. There was a um, historian who uh, wrote this about Sennacherib. You may remember him from the, uh, from the kings. He's one of the ones that came against and attacked the northern tribes. He also attacked the southern tribes. But Sennacherib came and he had made a statue and set it up in Egypt. He saith, uh, this is uh, from Herodotus, that this was the inscription. Let him that looketh upon my misery learn to be modest and to fear God. Let him that looketh upon my misery learn to be modest and to fear God. That's what Sennacherib wrote. So apparently he was miserable. He didn't fear God. We know that from the discourse that the kings of Judah had with him on the wall. And, we, and the people were told to be quiet, but we heard the boastful things he said against God. And apparently that had a great effect upon him because his life was miserable. Verse 15. Thus says the Lord God, In the day when it went down to hell, I caused mourning. I covered the deep because of it. I restrained its rivers, and the great waters were held back. I caused Lebanon to mourn for it, and all the trees of the field wilted because of it. He said, I caused mourning. The other nations will mourn over the loss of their protection and supply. We saw that same mourning go on when Tyre fell because of the things the people depended on Tyre for. And we're going to have that same mourning go on with Egypt. It also went on with Assyria. The people began to depend upon its, its wealth and its strength. He said, I cover the deep because of it. There's some, uh, see that part with the deep as a translation to talking about the underworld down into hell. I caused mourning. Uh, I, I cover the deep because of it. I restrained its rivers and the great waters were held back. I caused Lebanon to mourn for it and all the trees of the field wilted because of it. When it says I restrained its rivers, it may have had some effect upon the rivers of Assyria, but also we're talking about the Nile here. The trees need the water that comes from the rivers. And God had affected its supply. We saw that in the previous prophecies as well. Verse 16. I made the nation shake at the sound of its fall when I cast it down to hell together with those who descended into the pit. And all the trees of Eden, the choice, the best of Lebanon, all that drink water were comforted in the depths of the earth. Boy, that's a tough verse right there. It sounds like here that the trees of Eden are involved in a way that uh, might make us feel a little uncomfortable. Let me read it again. I made the nation shake at the sound of its fall when I cast it down to hell together with those who descended into the pit. So that tree, when it was cut down, was cast down into hell. 
and all the trees of Eden, the choice, the and beast of Lebanon, uh, I'm sorry, best of Lebanon, all that drink water were comforted in the depths of the earth. Hmm. Seems kind of puzzling there, so I went over to the New Living Translation and I wrote it this down. I made the nation shake with fear at the sound of its fall, for I sent it down to the grave with all the others who descended to the pit. And all the other proud trees of Eden, the most beautiful and the best of Lebanon, the ones whose roots went deep into the water, took comfort to find it there with them in the depths of the earth. And all the other proud trees of Eden, the most beautiful and the best of Lebanon, the ones whose roots went deep into the water, took comfort to find it there. Now the trees of Eden here, it could just be the the region of Eden and all the other proud trees, the best of trees that were in the world, the best of trees that were around this area. We know that Eden was a specific area. The most beautiful and the best of Lebanon, the ones whose roots went deep into the water, they took comfort there to find within them the depths of the earth. The um, the uh, new, I think actually that was the, oh, I'm sorry, the new century version puts it this way. Oh, we, to which of the trees of Eden will you compare your strength and glory? I think that makes it just a little bit clearer for us. <clears throat> oh, Egypt, to which of the trees of Eden will you compare your strength and your glory? You see, what was going on here is that Egypt not God, was comparing themselves to the best of the trees of the area. He even compared himself to the best of the trees of Eden. And he decided that he was greater than all the trees of Eden, all the trees of Lebanon. He was the greatest. O Egypt, to which of the trees of Eden will you compare your strength and glory? You see, this is from God's point of view of them, from what God can see of them. It certainly is not God making the comparison God is looking at Egypt. He's not saying you're uh, close to the best of trees of Eden or even the best of trees of Lebanon. He's saying you're seeing yourself as being that. But God doesn't see that that way. Verse 17, They also went down to hell with it, who's with those slain by the sword and those who were its strong arm dwelt in its shadows among the nations. To which of the trees in Eden will you be likened in glory and greatness? Yet you have... I'm sorry, that... That other part I was reading, that was actually 18. This part right here. To which of the trees in Eden will you then be likened in glory and greatness? Yet you shall be brought down with the trees of Eden to the depths of the earth. You shall lie in the midst of the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword. This is Pharaoh in all his multitude, says the Lord God. So, O Egypt, to which of the trees of Eden will you compare your strength and glory? He's making the comparison. He's making the comparison saying, I am greater than these. I am greater than this. They may have fallen, but I will not fall because I am greater than them. Then he elevated himself to a point of being a God, we know from the prophecies before. And then he elevated himself to the point that he says, the Nile, I made it. The Nile had existed way before he was even born, but he decided, I made it. And he did all these assertions, all these things that he said, this is, this is how great I am. And God says, you're over there comparing yourself and you see yourself as being greater than all these great trees that you name. But I don't see yourself as being greater. I see yourself as being worthy of being judgment, of judgment. 
and he came down and cut them down. When he says here in verse 18, this is something that if I knew, I forgot. Yet you shall be brought down with the trees of Eden to the depths of the earth. You shall lie in the midst of the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword. Why does he say to the people of Egypt that you will lie with the uncircumcised? Well, it seems that Israel is not the only nation that practiced circumcision. The Egyptians did as well. So did the Ethiopians. So did the Syrians and the Phoenicians. They all practiced circumcision. So for the Egyptians to be among the uncircumcised, to them, that was not good. They, did, they, they didn't want to be there. And so this is why this is part of the pronouncement. You shall lie in the midst of the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword. This is Pharaoh and all his multitude, says the Lord God. So though Egypt is coming down, God is specifically pointing to this Pharaoh and telling this Pharaoh, you are coming down. Now when we look at all this, whenever we look at the prophecies, we have to bring it to ourselves. Why is this prophecy written? There are many, many prophecies given in the Old Testament. But the ones that are written down in the Word of God, these are ones that carry to us. These are the ones that we're to study. These are the ones that have an effect upon how we live. We need to hear about this. Because very often we're like Egypt and we make comparisons ourselves to other trees. We look at the other trees that are around us in church. We look at other trees that are around us at work. We look at other trees that are around us in our neighborhood. We look at other trees that are around us in special places, special meetings that we go to. And we can begin to compare ourselves to these other people. Well, I don't think they worship as well as I worship. I don't think they know the Word as well as I know the Word. They don't seem to be as uh, bold as I'm bold. They don't dance like I dance. They don't shout like I shout. Surely God should be more pleased with me, with the things that I've done, than with them. And we make this comparison, especially if we see that person come in with a testimony. God blessed me with whatever it might be. I got a new car, all paid for. I got a new job. I got whatever it might be. They come on in and they talk about the healings that God has done for them in their body. And we sit there and say, but God, you didn't do that for me. And I begin to compare myself with them. And in my mind, I see myself as better. Just like Pharaoh. Pharaoh saw himself as better than the Assyrian king. He saw himself as better than Nebuchadnezzar, the sword of God. He saw himself as better than Israel. He saw himself as better than all the other nations that were around him. He saw himself as God. And we can sometimes be brought into that same mentality where I begin to compare myself with the people that are around me. And whenever I do that, I will always come out on the better end. I will see myself as stronger, more spiritual, more prepared, more in a place to receive the blessings of God. And then I begin to get mad. Why is it that God didn't bless me? Why did He bless them, but didn't bless me? I have a couple of verses. They're not in your outline. I did put the outline up there for for uh, you folks who wanted to see one of the earlier posts from today. And I emailed it out to those who have given me email addresses. But you can write this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. This is what it says in the New King James. 
For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. <clears throat> but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Let's talk about how people go around and they compare themselves. Well, I see me and I see you and what I see of you and what I know of me, I come out better. That's just the way that it always is. We look at the shortcomings and we don't extend mercy. When we, the more we get into this mentality, we don't extend mercy to the people who have shortcomings, but we extend mercy to ourselves because we know the reasons behind our shortcomings. The New Century Version reads 2 Corinthians 10, 12 this way. We do not dare to compare ourselves with those who think they are very important. They use themselves to measure themselves and they judge themselves by what they themselves are. This shows that they know nothing. I like the way they phrase it. They use themselves to measure themselves and they judge themselves by what they themselves are. Could you imagine if you were going to go around a room and you're going to measure it for carpet and you got your own measure and your measure is six inches short per feet, per, per foot. So every time you measure out a foot, it's only six inches. And you measure around the room and you give the carpet people a measurement. And they come on in based on your measurements and it's not big enough. It's not right. But, you're, but you showed them, here's my measure of tape and you measure it out 12 feet 15 feet, whatever it might be, but your measure is off. And so he pulls out his and says, well, your measure is off. You're not showing the full 12 inches. See, when we compare ourselves to ourselves, our measures will be short. Because I don't know the full story. We never know the full story of what's going on in someone else's life. We don't know what kind of things they faced, what kind of things they came up against. I always liked the story Brother Hagin shared when he uh, said some things that God picked up on and said, you're judging one of my ministers. And one of the things that God said to him was this. He says, you don't know what he faced. You don't know what he was up against. And you don't know if you would have done any better. Sometimes we don't always want to extend that mercy. But don't be comparing yourself to other people. Compare yourself to the Word. Don't compare yourself to yourself. Compare yourself to the Word. What does the Word say that we are to do? How does the Word say that we're to operate? How does it say I'm supposed to think? How does it say I'm supposed to talk? How does it say I'm supposed to believe? What does the Word say that faith is? This is what's important. I have to measure myself up to the Word of God, not to anyone else. And it doesn't make any difference if no one else is doing it. I need to measure myself to the Word of God. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. One more version for this one. This is the ESV. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they are measured, when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. That's not the way we're supposed to operate. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. 
Two more verses for you. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God. Whose approval do you want? Do you want God's or do you want man's? Man cannot tell how we have measured up to the things of the Word of God, but God can. So I have to live my life, not that I measure up to other people, but that I measure up to my God. Pharaoh didn't do this. The king of Assyria fell off from this. They decided to measure themselves against what they wanted to measure themselves against. Not what the Word of God said. When we come back to the Word of God, very often we come up short. Oh, Father God, I'm not doing what I ought to be doing over here. I'm not quite measuring up to the level I need to be. But thankfully, we get mercy from God. He points out the errors of error and helps us to fix them. Because if I can fix them, then I can be where my God wants me to be. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 4. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. I shouldn't be going out boasting of myself. Look, I am so much better than this person over here. Remember the story that Jesus told of the uh, poor person who came in to the altar and the Pharisee who came into the altar and the poor person just, oh, Father God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. But the Pharaoh said, I am glad I am not like this sinner on this side of me. But uh, he didn't have very good words for him. Don't boast in how you compare to your neighbor. Go to the Word of God and see how you compare to it. Let each one test his own work. That's our, our, our job to do. No one else is supposed to test your work but you. You gotta take your work, test it over with the Word of God. New Century Version reads it this way. Each person should judge his own actions and not compare himself with others. This is one of the things that is so so plagued the body of Christ. And leaders, followers, it doesn't matter who they are, whether we are new to being born again, whether we've been around for a few years, or we are a seasoned citizen in the body of Christ. The enemy is always trying to get us into a place of comparison. Because if he can get us to compare ourselves to other people, we won't be comparing ourselves to the Word. And whatever way he can get us away from the Word is a way that he can get us out of humility, into pride, and into a place of judgment. Whenever you hear the enemy in your ear saying, but you're better than this one, you're a greater worshiper than this one, You know the word better than this one. You have greater faith than this one. Rebuke him. That's not God who's coming in whispering those things to you. He doesn't whisper that kind of stuff. Your God will come in and he'll tell you where where you come up short. He'll tell you where you're doing good. He not only has words of correction, he also has words of encouragement. And he'll tell you, Steve, you're doing all right over here. Now, let's turn our attention over here. Let's work on this one. See what the word of God says? And he will always bring you back to the Word, not to what other people are doing. The enemy will bring you back to other people. It's one way you can always discern the voice of God and the voice of the, of the enemy. The enemy compares you to others. And all he can do is compare you to others 
from what you perceive and what you can see. You really don't know what's going on in their heart. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And he's using that ignorance, leading you in the way of assumptions so that he can bring deception down upon you. Don't let him do it. You don't need to compare yourself to anyone. You just need to compare yourself to the Word. Don't even compare yourself to yourself. Once you start doing that, it isn't too long to start comparing yourself to other people. Always compare yourself to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say that I should do here? Yeah, but no one else is doing that. Don't it matter if nobody else is doing it. This is what the Word of God says that I should do. When the Word of God says rejoice always, well, I don't see anybody else doing that. I can have a little bit of time to complain. See, compare yourself to the Word of God. What does the Word say? Am I doing what the Word of God has said? That's what we need to do. When we were little kids, how often did we come up short on something? And we would always point out, but my brother, but my sister, <laughs> and we point out their shortcoming. We point out how they came up short in the, in the thing. We're hoping that's going to bail us out. It never did. But we still kept trying it. Over and over again, we would keep trying it. We would keep going back to the same thing, even though it didn't work. <laughs> and we still do it with God. And God says, it's not going to work. I don't want you comparing yourself to anyone else. I don't want you comparing yourself to yourself. I want you to compare yourself to what the Word of God says. You see, that's our mirror. That's the mirror that's going to tell us truly what's going on. Any other thing that we look at is giving us a distorted view. It's kind of like in the fun house when you look at some of those mirrors. It's not really what you're seeing. Stay with the Word of God. Keep studying the Word of God. And every time you read the Word, compare yourself to it. How am I doing with what I just learned I'm supposed to do right here? Because that's all that matters. Don't be in a place like Pharaoh who compared himself and saw himself as greater than even the best of the trees. By God's view of him, you're not greater. In fact, I'm going to chop you down right now. You think you're so great that this world can't live without you. But it can. And God took him out. Don't put yourself in a place of judgment. Keep yourself in a place of mercy. Father, I thank you that we can recognize the voice of God from the voice of the enemy. Just in this one area of comparison, you will always compare us to the Word. The enemy will compare us to other people. He will compare us to what we think we ought to do. He will compare us to how we did last week. But none of that matters. How did we do compared to your word? You didn't compare the disciples to the storm that they faced. You compared them to the faith they were supposed to have. You didn't compare the disciples in the garden to how well they did for as tired as they were. You compared them to the word of God. Pray with me. This will make you strong. Father, we so often want to compare ourselves just as sometimes the disciples did. When they saw themselves coming up short, they say, yeah, but what about this guy? 
Lord, we want to be in a place where every time I compare myself to your word, I have mercy on the people around me. But I bring myself to the point of your word where I judge my own actions. I judge the things that are going on with me. I thank you for it, Father. Thank you for the help that you give us. That your goal is to make us the best servants of God that you can. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, thanks all for joining us. I'm looking down on here to see if we have any any um, questions here at the end. I don't see any any questions, comments. You can all see there and and read them. But thanks so much for for joining in. And thank Nikolai and Alyssa too coming on in, giving us some worship, changing some things up for us here on a Wednesday night. Sure do miss seeing you all out here on a on a Wednesday, but we'll be back and and doing things here normal pretty soon. Have a great night. And God bless.